Welcome to the HMO Property Podcast, where we connect, educate, and inspire the UK's HMO property community. So stop what you're doing, sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. What's up, HMO Nation, and welcome to another episode of the HMO Property Podcast with me, Rupert Wallace. In this episode, we're interviewing successful HMO property investor, Julian Maurice. Julian is going to take us on his HMO property investment journey, including the ups, the downs, the highs, and the lows. Now, Julian's been investing in HMOs for some 15 years now. He's been involved with over 200 projects. He currently houses 20 tenants himself in one location. So let's jump straight in. So, Julian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Before we dive into the details, tell us about yourself. Give us your background before you started your HMO journey. Uh, uh, what? Okay. Uh, background. Oh, gosh. All right. You want to go back to the beginning? I do. Uh, okay. Left school at 16 screwed up my O-levels, uh, bummed around Europe for quite some time, became a DJ, rave parties, stuff like that, did it to death, decided I needed to get serious, so got a job in an estate agency, uh, then went into lettings, then went and then started my own business in 2002, started sourcing, that was a sourcing business, and then it very quickly went into building refurbishment and spent 15 years refurbishing properties for investors and doing furnishing contracts and show homes. And um, and then, what, five years ago, started investing myself in HMOs. Excellent, excellent. What a journey before HMOs. Mm. Come on, give, give, us a, uh, give us a rave DJ story. Oh, what? I couldn't. It wouldn't be you. <laughs> no, I couldn't. Okay. Fine. I think you'll just have to get, I think you'll just have to get a picture in your mind's eye of rave DJ and what you'd get up to if you're doing stuff like that. And okay. Your imagination. <laughs> Enough said. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so tell us, how did you actually end up taking a step getting into HMOs? Uh, okay. Okay. So my mother actually, uh, called me um she was in a kind of not a brilliant place and she was having to dip into her savings every month to pay whatever she needed to pay and she became ill so she came up to me and said julian look i've got some i'm i'm actually losing money every month and i've got some money what if i gave it to you to put down as on a house and you paid me the whatever profit back and then you know if anything happens to me then you can keep the house uh, so I thought, fine, I'm helping her and she wanted it doing and she needed to get an income. So I bought a little house, um, that I thought was quite nice. And I was going to do it as a single let because I was actually not, I'd seen all this hoo-ha about HMOs, but because I'd been renovating them for quite some time, it did all the horror stories that I'd seen. It kind of scared me off really wanting to do an HMO. So I was doing this house as a single let. And then I thought I'd been going to a few um, property meetings and I kind of thought, well, what if I gave it a go uh, and just turn this little house into a three bed HMO? 
everyone was saying, no, it's got to be six bed and bigger. But I thought, well, if I turn it into a three bed HMO, it'll double the income on that house. So there was nothing to lose, really. So I just turned it into a three bed HMO and it was ready on the 21st of December, uh, whenever it was, whatever year it was. And literally after putting it in a uh, spare room, it rented really, really quickly, like bang, gone. And the income started coming in. So that's what got me started. That's what that's really what got me started on investing. Got it. Um, do you think anything was holding you back from getting into HMOs? Yeah. Well, the, my, I mean, my fear was, you know, they were just low quality, to be honest. All the landlords, that I, or they were either student. So when I started, when, when I'd been working in HMOs, there were really two types. There was the student HMO, which was normally just a shithole. And then you had, um, then you had, um, there wasn't such really, there wasn't professional HMOs about. It was just kind of blue collar um dss whatever and that kind of thing and they were shitholes so basically you've got two types of product that were just problems you know and i'd seen it um i'd uh, yeah yeah so it's it's it would scare anyone off really to be honest with you that worked in it and seen what happens to them after a few years and how the tenants treat them and all the aggro that you get so you know that would that would scare that scared me off but then i thought i'm i'm investing in a small property i'll do it in a small way I'm not going to have a big, like, you know, six rooms. I'm just going to have three. Uh, and um, and I, I, I managed it myself. And actually, it was a pleasant surprise at how not bad it was. It's you know, always it worth just uh, before you go into a strategy, just testing it out in a small way. I think that's a really wise move. Mm. Tell us about that first HMO deal. When it was, what year, um, what you bought it for what you spent on it, and what it cash flowed. Give us a flavor. Okay, so first, what year was it? I think it, yeah. was, I think it was January 14 that the tenants moved in. Yeah, January 14. Uh, I bought it for 74000 It was on a, I think it was on a, I think it was on an 85 or something like that. So I got, but it was a probate. So it was, you know, and there was damp in the kitchen. Now, most people are scared of damp when they see proper damp, you know, like plaster coming off walls. It does scare people away, but it didn't scare me because I'd done a lot of basement conversions. So I knew that it was a fairly straightforward fix. Um, so what else do you want to? OK, that was the thing. Refurb. Refurb cost was about 20K. Mm -hmm. I did do a lot of the work myself. Um, I didn't have that much to do, so I did it myself, a lot of it myself. I didn't do the electrical work, obviously, and the gas, but I, I, I did a lot of the kitchen fitting. I did the bathroom, etc. So 20k was the refurb cost. Um, I, I think, left in 40k. So I left in 40k because at the time I was just really wasn't expecting to do more. I was just kind of let's get this one right, and I didn't think I was going to pull money out and do it again and I would have been happy with that on its own to be honest with you at the time you know it was anyway so that was the numbers 74 40k left in the rental income after all the costs came in at around about 650 a month great that's net cash flow so if you if you, I, I'm not sure but I think the return on investment is around about 19% on those figures although ROI is a funny figure to be honest with you um, I was just really keen on the cash flow. So my mother was happy. She got a very good return on her investment. 
Um, it was a good exercise. I wasn't making any money from it because it was all going to my mother. Um, I didn't think I didn't think anything serious serious was going to happen to her. And we had an agreement that after five years, I would either have to give her the forty thousand pounds or sell the house and give her the capital appreciation. So mm. that was the deal. Unfortunately, she got very very ill and she she passed away. Um, so that's now in my hands that property. Um, so what else do you want to know? What else do you want to know? <laughs> you've, got, you've got the cash flow. You've got all mm. the numbers. You've got the story behind it. Great deal. No, I think that's a really good example for HMO Nation of, um, you know, how to test the water with uh, your first HMO property deal. You don't have to be going after a 20 bed. Uh, it's a really good. No, it's a really good example. And that's from somebody with 15 years working in with landlords with HMO. So it wasn't if I didn't. It wasn't as if I didn't have a lot of experience. It still scared the shit out of me. <laughs> it did. It and, did. It, and the truth of it is, it scares the, it scares the hell out of um, many, many people. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that's part of the property journey that, you know, if you just keep doing the same thing over and over again and never try anything new, the chances are your growth is going to be limited. So, you know, it's good to know that even a professional like yourself, 15 years experience, um, you know, still still has doubts over a particular strategy and has actually gone about um, testing it in a really, um, really valid way. Thank you. Julian, how has investing in HMOs since that point, since you started, how has it changed your life? That's a really good question. Thank it, you. It's had a massive impact. Tell us. Oh, God. Okay. Well, I had this kind of, you know, we've all got a kind of target, I guess, haven't we? An inner target. And my inner target was to, um, when they say replace income, I don't think I've replaced income, although I'm making as much money from uh, HMOs now as I uh, I wanted to make, as if I wanted to replace my income. Um, so I've achieved this level, which I'm very happy with. I've done a lot of reinvesting the money. So while you're getting it in, you do reinvest it while you're building it up. So you don't actually see the fruits of your labor for quite some time if you're building it up. So but how's it changed my life? It, there came a point about um, a year ago where I realized that I didn't actually have to get out of bed in the morning. Um, that's I have been getting out of bed, obviously, because I love <laughs> I've been, I, while I've been building up the HMOs. I have been doing some I have been doing stuff that I really, really enjoy that I've monetized. Uh, and I would not want to give that up because I love doing it. So, you know. I love if you love what you do, it's not like work. So I've got that side of things. Then I've got the HMOs bringing in a good income. Um, and so I realized that actually I've got time on my hands. You know, and they say time is money. Well, time for me is incredibly precious. I've been working all that time and really been that's really was my goal at the beginning was to give myself more time. And I didn't realize that she woke up one day and thought, shit, I'm now here. I've got more time when that happens. Weird stuff happens because obviously you have you've got more time to think. And there, a lot of people say it's quite a lonely journey. And yeah, it, it is. And I guess what happened was I really felt lonely for a while. But the adventure and the good, the challenge and the really good thing is I've actually learned to be really comfortable in my own skin since that happened. Um, because I do stuff. I'll take myself on hikes. I go, you know, I'll take myself off to the mountains, climb a mountain. I'll go to the gym. 
and I'll do my other stuff all around stuff. So I've got lots of time. I'm able to make the most of that time, spend that time wisely and enjoy it. Most of us, when we have that free time, we all have this sense of guilt, like we should be working. Mm -hmm. So what a wonderful feeling that HMOs have given you, not only that time, but the appreciation of time. Because it would be a, you're right, HMOs or property in general can be a very lonely journey. And uh, there's a famous Casey Neistat quote, which is, uh, a life not shared is a life not lived. And now you have that time to share it, share your life with whoever you want, doing whatever you want. So I really like that story. I cool. really like that. Cool. So do I. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Okay, next up, Julian. What is your favorite part of HMO property investing? My favorite bit is giving somebody a really great place to live and knowing that they've got a great home i'm giving them a great home to live in that they're going to enjoy they're going to take pride in it and they're going to make friends you know they're going to move on at some point but i've given them an environment that's safe they're happy to be in i get texts from them saying that they're really you know whatever they're having a good do whatever you know, some of them mow the lawn or whatever it is but i know that in the that i'm giving people a great place to live and that gives me a lot of satisfaction especially if, if you can monetize it exactly know. i mean if only more landlords thought like that hey then i would be uh i wouldn't be able <laughs> i wouldn't be as successful <laughs> because yeah it makes a difference you know that's a good difference to have and i'm happy to have that i'm happy to be like that good it obviously makes you happy it, you, you yeah. can hear it Julian, we've talked about the past, but before mm. we move on to the present and your future plans in HMO property, let's take a minute to thank our sponsors. Are you looking for an effortless HMO mortgage experience? If that's a yes, there's only one place to go. www.thehmomortgagebroker.co.uk, the UK's number one specialist HMO mortgage broker. They're so specialized that they don't do anything else. HMO mortgages, HMO remortgages, and HMO bridging. That's it. They have access to every HMO lender out there, and even some exclusive products not available to other brokers. With lightning fast service and A1 communication, they're easily the best HMO broker in town. So to experience HMO lending made easy, go to www.thehmomortgagebroker.co.uk today. So, Julian, fast forwarding to the present day, mm. tell us a bit more about your portfolio. All right. Um, it's fluctuating at the moment. Uh, I'm getting rid of uh, something that isn't performing that well. So there's a shift. I, I mean, uh, I could be split. What do you want to know? Numbers for how many houses I've got, whatever. I'd rather talk about what I'm actually doing with it and how it and how it's manifesting itself in a kind of day-to-day -day business sense really to be honest with you um i do have an asset that is probably got it's got now got quite a bit of equity in it and I, i'm when you start seeing how well things can perform on paper then you kind of look at you take a look at things and think well, what have i got that's underperforming and um can i do anything with that to make the money perform better uh and so i'm in that process at the moment i've been 
have been upgrading my first HMO because you may want to touch upon that later. But yeah, so I'm shifting things around, but I'm actually, I've got, I had a real stress actually about two months ago. I'd actually just finishing off my most recent uh, acquisition. So that was a three bed. And as that was just coming up to completion, I think I had half of my tenants all give me notice within literally one, two, three weeks. And I had loads of people saying we want to, we want to move on. Now that, that on top of the fact I had this new HMO coming up and they're all in the same location. I was shitting myself, but um, it hasn't taken me long. There is obviously the market's tougher now because I've got more competition. The competition's better. So I wasn't, you know, you, that's the thing is it doesn't get any less stressful because you've got the market's changing all the time and it, you know, you just got to keep on top of it. Um, so I was worried that I wasn't keeping on top of it, but apparently, you know, I am, have been because all the rooms rented out really, really quickly and I'm back to 100%. By the weekend, I'll be back up to 100%, even though I had, you know, a substantial number of rooms to mess around with. It, I've, it's never happened to me before where all of them, but I do keep my tenants long term. So it's no, you know, and they all kind of, yeah. So that's what happened. So there's been that going on. And now I'm up to 100% again, which is great. But I've, I'm, I'm actually just accepted an offer on an asset. I'm getting rid of that. I'm going to um, move some cash about and then try to get it performed as, as best I can. Lovely. Yeah. yeah. I don't have many properties. I've got four now. So four HMOs. But they've, like I said, Perfect. you know, you asked me about the lifestyle. My, my, um, I guess my key value, the one that I guess drives me a lot is, is freedom. You know, I really want, I really cherish that, my freedom. So I don't want to buy too many properties because if I do, then that will compromise that value. So I've, you know, I look at other people that are buying more and more and talking about their success. I'm just going, yeah, that's great. You know, if that's right for you, brilliant. But you know, for me, it's not about that. It's about, you know, not having to have to go into an office, not having staff to worry about, not having too many tenants to freak out about and having finding a good balance between work life. And, uh, you know, that's it. it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is, if you if you're giving um, no wonder you're back up at 100 percent, if the approach you have to your properties and your tenants is I want to give them an incredible place to live. So I'm not I'm not in any way surprised um yeah no it's uh it's it's great here and I, i'm not i'm not surprised at all and with regard to your freedom yeah absolutely you don't need to have 50 or 100 hmos you don't need to have 100 units to buy back your time um it's the most valuable thing that you have and if you're not doing what you want with that time it's kind of irrelevant anyway if you've got 100 mm. on that julian tell mm. us about your best HMO investment to date it doesn't have to be numerically it could just be the one that you really loved putting together and you think is the best layout standard just give us your single best HMO investment I don't think I've got a favorite to be honest with you (laughs) I the best deal though is the one I did last year, which was just, it was just ridiculous because talk about being in the right place at the right time. You know what I mean? People talk about BMV deals. It's weird when people talk about BMV because I've just not seen it, but if it exists, brilliant. 
But they, I mean, the numbers really are weird when you look Tell at us. Well, the numbers are weird because um, I don't even know where to start on this one, really, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I walked into this property and the good thing about it was it had a loft conversion. So I knew I could turn it into a four bed and the loft had been done. Now, the weird thing is, is it's cheaper to buy a house in the area that I bought with a loft already converted than it is to buy something without a loft and convert it. You know, work that one out. Um, <laughs> that's just how it is. So this was a this was cheap anyway. It was pro, well, it wasn't cheap. At the time, I thought it was quite expensive, but I looked at it and it was a part X. Do you know what a part X is? Of course. Yeah. So the vendor, the owner of that property had bought a new property and the developer had taken that property as part X on the thing, which is a weird one, but that's what it was. So in my head, when I'm walking around, I'm going, because it's empty, I'm thinking they're going to want to get rid of this at some point. But I, so I offered them, I think it was on a, I think it was on an 89,950 and I offered them 80 because I looked at it and th- thought it needs about 40 grand spending on it. And, and if, it, if I would spend 40 grand on it, it would be over market value by about uh, quite a lot, an uncomfortable <laughs> amount. Okay. But the ca- cash flow would have been great. And it's weird because values in different places, it's just this is what I'm saying is that if I would have gone a mile down the road, this house would have been a lot more expensive for exactly the same thing. Um, for, it just doesn't make sense anyway. So where was I about the deal? Yeah, so I offered 80 and they refused it. So I went up, I looked at for others and I thought, well, that, you know, that's done. I'm going to go and look for something else. And I found something up the road, which I got accepted, which was in, which was in better condition, didn't need anywhere near as much work, but it was a three bed. So the cash flow wouldn't have been as good, but it needed a lot less spending on it. Swings and roundabouts. Yeah. So I got that offer accepted anyway. About two weeks later, I get a phone call. I'm in the gym. I get a phone call and it's the agent I made the offer to. And he said, that offer of 80,000 on that property does that still stand? And I, and I said to him, look, I've made an offer on something else. The ball's rolling. I said, no, the only way I'd be interested in it is if they took 70. Then I'd pull out the other one and then I'd buy this one. He goes, there's no way they t- they'll take 70. So fine. All right. Anyway, two days later, the phone rings. And he goes, that offer of 70, are you sure that's on the table? I said, yeah, if they want it 70. They said, well, it's a deal then. So I tied it up at 70. And this house is probably worth, on paper, 120. Fab. So, yeah, so even the agent couldn't believe it. Wow. Now, the thing is, if I would have bought exactly the same house a couple of miles away, it would have been on at 140. And it would have probably sold for about 120 in shit condition. This is the thing the, the, you, you get to know your area. But this one maxed out was 120, even in yeah. good order. So it just you look at the areas and you go, but what's important in that situation is the rental income. Because if you've got to pay 140 for one thing and you get, uh, you get, you know, the same amount of rent per room as one that costs 120, then buy the one that's at 120, you know, but rather than buy the one that's 140. And they're literally, you know, two miles away. So rents are the same. Um, anyway, it needed a lot of work doing to it. A lot of cash went into it. Tell us but, what, what work did it need? What did you do? It needed re. It needed. Um, it needed. Um, uh, bathroom was in the in the, on the ground floor behind the kitchen. That needed taking upstairs. Rooms needed moving about. 
Um, the, they needed an ensuite putting in the loft, a lot of repair works, taking walls down, taking some ceilings came down, um, replastering pretty much the whole thing. Um, new bathroom, new ensuite, uh, you know, all of that stuff, fire doors, kitchen. Um, and it, I needed a good kitchen in that one because of the, it was a very complicated, needed a lot of planning out. But it was done to a very good spec. And actually, at the end of it, I, I left 50,000 in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's making me nearly 1,000 a month. Fantastic. You know. So that is a good income from that. kind. Of, that's a great income from a four-bed house. Not many four-bed houses will give you four if to five, I'm guessing. If you've got a ratio and do that mm. as an, an eight-bed, get at a hundred thousand and it's getting you two grand a month you know that's awesome as well but i just wouldn't get an eight bed but i like <laughs> i like these little ones yeah yeah, yeah. i have to leave more cash in but i'm really comfortable with that do they feel more much more homely and kind of together in in this the lower number of bedrooms can i be totally honest with you and tell me my gut feeling on on this because people Please. ask I've been answering these questions for it seems like quite a long time now you know is a smaller house more homely does design really make a difference you know is painting a feature really going to do anything well you know what i'm really fed up with arguing the point it's just just look at it you know just live in it and see say if you were in a situation where you wanted to rent a room you had to rent a room if if you've if you've got married and you've got kids, think about getting what it would like getting a divorce and you need to get a room somewhere, you know, whatever. You know, this is our product, a room in a house. Now, if you were going to look for somewhere to live and you saw a house with eight rooms in it and everyone's sharing a kitchen. Or you go into a smaller little house that's got really hasn't been changed. It's still the same basic layout as if it was a home. It's got a nice living room. There's two other people or three other people living there. Uh, which one would you go for? Well, there's no, there's no two ways about it. I'd take the smaller one all day. Well, uh, there's nothing I can add to that. <laughs> it's all about having to. It's, we, at the end of the day, we have to sell our product. You know, if the product is, a lot of people go, well, I'll put in an ensuite to make it more saleable. Well, for me, I think about really the whole experience, not just the ensuite where you're going to take a dump. I'll think about the whole experience and about really where would I really want to live if I needed a room. And ultimately, when I think about it, really, I would choose to live in a smaller house. Um, And so I'm thinking, well, if that's the case and I have to do that because that's what's important. If I want to sell my product amongst a lot of other competition, what have I got? What can I do that makes me different from other people? Uh, and that's how you stand out is by doing something that's not the same as everybody else and offering something that people genuinely would really love. Um, have you seen yeah. any of the larger HMOs that you think? I converted them for years. Yeah. So can you can you liken any of the 10 or 20 beds or the huge ones, you know, the the unconventional non-family homes that you thought, you know what, this still feels homely. Does does that exist in your mind? Some of the student ones. Yeah. Uh, but not professional ones. The difference between student uh, HMOs and professional HMOs is in student houses, you tend to get a group. 
and they all kind of party together and they kind of commune together. That's just a natural, you know, dynamic of a student house. Professional HMOs is a different animal because you've got unrelated people in it, which is why some councils have a different set of safety regulations for a professional HMO that they do for a student one, because I'm sure they've done, um, you know, studies on how people react in a fire if they're a group and how people react in a fire if they're unrelated, which is why in some areas you don't need to put fire doors on bedrooms in student accommodation in bedrooms. So if that's the case, um, so going back to the kind of question about what I'd like and what I don't like, etc., about the big ones, I just think the dynamic is different in a large HMO. So for me, I can't, if I try to picture how a big HMO will go in the future, let's go five, seven, ten years down the line. Because, And I go back to this because when I was an estate agent, I distinctly remember the properties that I kept on having to go back to week after week, month after month that didn't sell were the properties where landlords had just done a conversion without care or converted a property into studio flats or something and done it quite cheaply or it was just tired and knackered and no one would go near them. And I do not, I'm not want, I don't want to invest in property just to have to give up in 10 years. You know, that's not because I really, really value the freedom that I've got more mm. than anything else. So why would I... Why would I invest in something where long term I just think it's going to fail? Yeah. So, so I just don't do it because I just think that big HMOs are not the same. There's no, there's no really, there's no long term um, for me. The only long term, um, the only long term evidence I've got with what um, HMOs are like long long term are the crappy ones. You know, are the are the kind of the ones that I was telling you about when I was doing the student and the professional. They're the only ones I can go back to and say, you know, how are they doing in 10 years? And yeah, they're fine, but they tend to have a lot more problems with tenants and a lot more churn and you have to manage them. The kind of guys that I know that have got a lot of those types of properties always have a have a kind of heavy bloke <laughs> on tap. Yeah. You know, yeah. they can go in and, and, and not harass, but certainly intimidate. Yeah. Well, I don't want to be involved in all of that stuff. No, I mean, if it's if it's not your goal, is it? I mean, it's obviously different for everyone and depends, you know, what journey people are on. But, you know, your journey is quite clearly to provide high quality accommodation, which people really enjoy spending their time in and don't just enjoy, you know, escaping from work for a few hours before they have to go back. So it's a very different approach and it is a great and noble approach. Oh, Absolutely. It really is. Mm. Julian, tell us about one significant mistake that you've made in your HMO business that by sharing you think you might help others avoid. Okay, it's a tough one because I don't – it's a tough one. I'll share it. Whether people will gain from it, I do not know because it's a tough one. And I'm a, I will admit I'm a creative person. So learning by this mistake suited me down to a ground, down to, the, you know, down to a T. But it might not suit everybody and it might not go down with, well with everybody. OK, but my biggest regret was staying safe when I did my first HMO in terms of its presentation and design. If I look at I've had to redo it. I've had to redo it. So the reason why I've had to redo it is because the market has progressed and the the consumer has become more demanding and the competition has become a lot more um, um, 
intelligent and also more design aware. And this one just wasn't up to scratch. I mean, it was just, I just, when I was, the and I can actually see the thing is I can fully understand because it, I did it. And even though in my heart of hearts, I would have been more adventurous, but I can understand why people do not want to do things that are maybe outside of the, outside of the, you know, comfort or outside the box, you know, because it takes guts to do that. And I didn't have the guts to do it on my first one. And that's what I regret is that I didn't think outside of the box when I did my first HMO. Give us I an just, example. Well, I just what? copied what most people were doing, which is basically very kind of bland, plain interior. A lot um, of Magnolia? It wasn't Magnolia. I, I didn't go that far. <laughs> I, I, I can't physically put magnolia in i can't pick up a pot i'm allergic to just looking right. at it just but it, it was it, it could it might well have been do you know what i mean it, it really wasn't that it wasn't really a significant step in any direction it might as well have been magnolia to be honest with you i played it really really safe and i guess i was just yeah played it too safe and um i need i've needed to go back to that property and i've had to update it so to me, it, what does that, what lesson did that teach me? You know, what, what lesson did that teach me? And the lesson it taught me is do it. For me, it's got to be well designed. And what is good design is a really big question that we have not got time to go into. But, you know, if once you start looking at what makes good design good, it's not just feature walls and fancy cushions. And I've had to because I knew that I'd made that mistake and I didn't want to make that mistake again, I've done a lot of research into design. And so I don't make that mistake again. Good. That's a good one to share with the audience because, you know, we've all been guilty of looking at the cost sheet and going, what can I afford to do? And I think taking a longer term view, especially on design, will pay dividends in the long run. So, no, that's a really... In terms of cost, yeah, it was cheaper at the beginning but i've had to go back and do it all again not all but a lot of it again uh it would have been a far cheaper to do it right first time but there was no one really when i first doing it there really wasn't anybody that was really thinking about design in that way uh and i had to just go through all of that myself because i had no one to i could get inspiration from so it's a great it's a great lesson to share uh, i think i think you're i think it's a false economy that you're saving money so that's another another good uh, a good little nugget julian tell us about your hmo portfolio plans for the next 12 months i'm going to get one more well i'm actually i've sold one i'm going to get another one to get the better thing and that's it great stuff yeah i it just it's just gonna i'm just gonna enjoy the benefits of having it and let it flow because it's just that's it that's what i'm using it for it's a use it's a it's not a means it's just it, it was a means to an end the end is in sight when i get to that end it will just be there to service me and my family excellent mm. and apart from continuing putting one more property in the portfolio this year is there anything else that you're up to within property that you'd like to share with HMO Nation? Thank you. Yes, uh, I do run courses. I've got some I've got two courses that I do. I do a course in Minimos, mini HMOs, where I teach people. I, I, I 
The other, I would say to start with, I'm uh, I'm an ICF, which is the uh, International Coaching Federation uh, trained coach. To if anyone knows about these levels, ILM level seven, uh, which means I've I've kind of got more of a coaching style than a mentoring style. Which means what I like to do is keep, give people the tools and the mindset to do things themselves. I have no interest in holding people's hands and taking them down the road and showing them all the stuff. I will tell them what they need to know, give them the tools, give them the confidence and then let them go and they will do it. Um, so my training is short, sharp, shock. I don't do long kind of winded things, but I do do a one day interior design workshop where I teach people project management and, and design. And that seems to work really well. I've had some really great uh, not feedback, but I've had really great results from people that have done it. It awakens creativity and, and, and people can just put that creative stuff into their into their business. It's proven to be uh, more profitable. Not just me saying it's proven, but go online and, and just look up um, the um, uh, design index study. Just Google design index study or um, design value index. Those two things, design value index, design index studies. And you'll see the value of design. You'll see it in numbers. Studies have been done. So there's that. So I do that and I do the Minimo uh, course, which is the same thing. Basically, all the things that people need to know about investing in small HMOs, uh, I teach in a day, including the design and stuff like that. And it's short, sharp, intense Get, get what you need to know, do some practice. We do some practice, a lot of practical practicing as well. So real life kind of, what would you do? Get people thinking outside the box and really get people thinking. Uh, so I do those two. I do a live course and I do a online course and I do coaching as well. So coaching is really can be on all sorts of things. So if people want to make a change in their life, uh, and they just need somebody to uh, help them facilitate, give them a safe space to talk things through, um, then I love doing it because I love seeing people change and, and, and become more self-aware. And from the power of that self-awareness, they can fix their lives, you know. So I help people in that way as well. And that's it. That's me in a nutshell. Fab. Excellent. Mm. Julian, what advice would you give to current HMO investors? My advice would be have this mindset. Think of yourself as coming into the market right at the end and work back from that. Got it. Love it. It's something good to think about. And how about any advice you'd give to people who are looking to get into HMO investing for the very first time? <laughs> My gut feeling is don't. <laughs> Just don't do it. Um, don't let anyone tell you what to do. That's that's more like it. Um, make your own mind up. Go with your gut feeling. And if you don't know enough to have a gut feeling, look, listen, use two of those, two of those. Keep that shut. Love it. So don't sign a checkbook. Don't take your credit card. Don't say yes to anybody. Just, <laughs> just listen, look, keep your mouth shut for a while and then build a network as well. So build a set of people that you can talk to in a kind of adult way. I would, this may sound stupid, but 
remain in your adult. Don't get all het up and don't get too overexcited. Don't like act like a crazy child. Don't act like, you know, whatever. Just stay in the adult. Two ears, two eyes. And then if you're going to talk, do it. Think first and, and just observe. See what people are doing. Take it all in as much as you can. And then you'll have a bit more of an instinct. Develop that. Develop that, you know. And got it. Uh, Think first, act second. I like it. Well, maybe, Julian, maybe, maybe actually, no. The two ears, two eyes, one mouth. Don't forget that rule. Okay, Julian. Before we sign off, we'd like you to recommend one great HMO resource or business book that you'd like to share. Then, if you can let HMO Nation know how they can connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. I think if I was going to add my flavor into your mix, I'm sure there are people that will give plenty of, um, you know, go-to places that to do with tax, uh, sourcing, whatever it is the strategy you want to do. Mine is more about the presentation of the product uh, and how to create something really good and get inspiration is Pinterest. Yes. So Pinterest is a wonderful place for getting inspiration for planning rooms and layouts and designs and colors and, you know, bedrooms. And you can enter in things like, you know, student bedroom, um, small kitchen design, uh, ensuite design. And you enter in all these terms and build up a library of, of photographs that you, you that you're attracted to you know put your own mark on these things but the design is really the your product what you're saying to the world about you you as a business owner it represents you uh, and and you'll attract the kind of people that you want to attract that way so you know but pinterest is where you will get so much inspiration and resource for what you want to do in terms of the design and be go with it go with it go with it be brave you know that was my mistake i wasn't brave enough um so that would be my contribution to your salad great thanks and how about how hmo nation can connect with you if they wish they can connect with me i have a best way to do it really is either through facebook messenger so find me on Facebook and send me a message or email. Uh, my email address is julian at iconliving.co.uk. That's julian at iconliving.co.uk. I have a website, which is www.iconliving.co.uk. So you can catch me there. Yeah. Brilliant. Julian, thanks for sharing your journey. We salute you. Let's get an HMO high five. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Rupert. Cheers. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed this and want more informational, educational and inspirational HMO property content, then please hit the subscribe button and give us a like. See you next time. This content was brought to you in association with hmohub.co.uk, the UK's number one HMO platform connecting the HMO property community.